0: I'm Sheena, and I'm Lori, and this is Cemetery Road.
1: Sheena didn't forget her name this time. Yay! I know,
2: I know. It's like I took my Ritalin today or something.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Um, We don't have any news, but we are sending love and light to DMX right now. Man, Um, I hope we have a good
2: answer there by the time this airs.
1: Exactly. So <sighs> if he is still in a way by the time this comes out, please keep sending him love and light. And we're not going to talk about if we lose him. That's just where we will have to have like a very special episode where we, you know, meet.
2: if we do lose him though, he gets my love and light there too.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I
2: hope and he pulls through. So, yeah. So um, I guess in, I don't know that it's happier news. Um, This week, our topic is journalists, because we are all journalists. And if you listen to our first episode, you know, that is how we all met. And that is um, something that I think is close to our hearts, even if we aren't all still in journalism.
1: You never really leave the newsroom. Like, it's just, I mean, I even find myself, like, I have this app called Citizen on my phone that it's just, like, when I'm in the suburbs, it's no bigs. It's, like, just kind of, it's a crime spotter, basically. Um, But when I've been downtown for work this week, it's been ding, ding, and I've been like, you know what, I think I'm going to shut this off because... So I mean I think we all have that you know our ears perk up when we hear sirens. They're like what what's happening? Oh what's yeah, come on. Oh yeah. yeah.
2: I mean I can still probably I don't know I haven't tested it in a couple of years. Can probably chase down a house fire just by sight and scent alone.
1: Oh I wow. Don't even need,
2: <laughs> I don't even need the scanner to tell me where it is. I have chased down many a house fire <laughs> that way. You just hang your head out the window and sniff. You'll oh find wow. It. Trust me. The fun story story there was I got to that one because it was at nighttime, which you'd think it would be easier to find a fire at night, but it's not when it's deep in the backwoods of North Mississippi. But it was someone who I think owned a candle store or candle shop or someone who, oh, no wait, it gets worse. Um, Candle. I think they made candles. I don't think they made them at home, but that's what they did. But the firefighters were very much like this again. Like oh, this person, no. I think, liked to set them. That it was a thing end. with them. It was a thing. And I think they sort of got insurance money. And it was, oh. it was a fun night. I'm not wrong. I was thinking,
1: it, I was <laughs> thinking it was, it was like.
2: Sunday night activity back 100 years ago see, when I was a reporter. If you're
1: a candle maker. A butcher, baker, and a candlestick maker, um, <laughs> and your shit frequently catches on fire. See, this is this is why I am the way that I am is that I thought he's it was a kinky thing.
2: Oh no,
1: you know, with arsonists, it's usually so. like a, a a sexy thing.
2: I think it was just for insurance money.
1: Oh well, there's I, I, that it, too.
2: I think it was, I think this was not the first of theirs to go up in flames in my oh, wow. house. Oh. or, or this may have been the second or third fire to happen at that. I can't remember that one got it pretty good though. That was a, that was a big fire. I, I would way. think,
0: I would think you wouldn't be able to get, get away with insurance fraud by setting your
2: house on fire more than once, you know, yeah, right? I, I would that think it feels like you get one shot at that. And then you're that done. That was, and you know, I could be completely lying it was just one of those like fire marshal things said off the record mm-hmm. as we're all standing knee deep in mud because that's what happens when you cover house fires you walk away in mud right um anyway
1: wada, wada.
2: fun stories from uh, the newspaper beat gee whiz yep. gee
1: all golly. right so
2: <laughs> we are going to celebrate some awesome journalists this week and hannah i believe you are going first
1: i am so this is going to be exciting and because it's me there might be a murder so get out of town (laughs) murder really me murder (laughs) i can't even um and it also has the chicago connection that i didn't realize until i was knee deep in it so i stay on brand (laughs) but we're gonna start in hawthorne new york at the gate of heaven cemetery But there's an inconspicuous in-ground stone inscribed Dorothy Kilgallen Colmar, beloved wife and mother, 1913 to 1965, in God's care. I'm going to do a brief aside and talk about how much I hate the in-ground stones um, that can't stand up, that lay flush with the ground, that we don't know the word for. We're sure there is one, we just don't know it. Um, I know that it's easier to like mow and stuff, but it's also very disappointing because yes, Dorothy Kilgallen was a beloved wife and mother, but as you're going to learn, she was a badass bitch who did some cool shit. (laughs) The Dorothy was a trailblazing journalist, a radio show host, a game show panelist, Frank Sinatra nemesis. Ooh, love it. Possibly, yes, and possibly a murder victim. So Dorothy was born into the newspaper business in Chicago. Her father, James Kilgallen, worked all over the country for various wire services and moved the family to New York City in 1920. So when Dorothy was about seven, Uh, she attended Erasmus High School, which I included because it sounded really cool. Um, And then she tried out two semesters of college. Um, This was back in the day when you didn't have to have a degree to do anything. You just showed up and said, hey, can I do the thing? And they let you do the thing gone are those days it must have been nice it must have been great however at 18 she landed a spot at the Hearst newspaper new york evening journal now newspapers would commonly have a morning and evening edition of the newspapers for much of the 1900s um, i'm not sure when that really stopped uh, probably in the 80s it feels like because i seem to remember like movies talking about the evening edition into the 80s um, but it might've depended on where you were. Um, so basically your morning edition is stuff that happened, you know, after a certain time in the afternoon and then your evening edition was the same thing just for the same day. Um, this is pre-internet, this is pre-phones, this is pre, you know, TV and radio in a lot of places. Please ignore my dog snoring in the background. And, um, so Two editions of the newspaper made sense at that point. Um, so you can find out what happened because you didn't have your friend texting you and say, Hey, there's a naked man with a machete on Fifth and Main. Oh, Lord. <laughs> you had to wait a couple hours for the evening edition to come out and read all about the crazy man with the machete on Fifth and Main. So, but that, you know, just a little bit of journalism history there. Uh, in 1936, at the age of 23, Dorothy competed with two other reporters from New York at a race around the world using only transportation available to the public. Now, this was a thing um, in the 30s. Uh, we were an easily amused bunch back in the day. So races around the world, I mean, transatlantic flight had just started. You know, there was, you know, those ships and steamers and stuff like that were happening. So International travel was a lot easier than it had been before, so it was really, you know, this was a f- a thing. This is not the first time I have heard about trips around the world. I mean, there's the famous book "Around the World in 40 Days," you know. So this it's a theme in the early 1900s of let's go places. Yes, Luhu. It's around the world in 80 days. Okay, thank you. Well, and the
0: the reason I brought that up, so this was in the 30s yes 36 okay because coincidentally my journalist uh, Nellie Bly did this in the late 1800s when the book initially came out sweet did, okay did this circumnavigation so I talk about this in, in my story so that's interesting all that was
1: not planned that was not <laughs> no planned. not at all <laughs> we're just on the level
0: mm-hmm.
1: so she was the only woman to compete and she came in second place so as Good you're going now. to see Dorothy is a badass bitch she is like that is why yes she was a beloved wife and mother but oh she did so much so she wrote a book about her experience called girl around the world which later became a movie called fly away baby I love the names of old movies yeah So Dorothy started the column called Voice of Broadway in 1938, which became syndicated in Hearst newspapers across the country and included gossip and show business news, as well as items about organized crime and politics. So a girl after my own heart. Um, And of course, Hearst newspapers, William Randolph Hearst. Um, One of my favorite stories from college, I think it was either Dr. Who taught us? journalism history it wasn't dr atkins (laughs) yes it was was it atkins okay because he did well maybe maybe
0: now y'all took it a different year than me but uh
1: sheena who was our journalism
2: history teacher i don't know but calm law was not or at least my calm law teacher was not atkins it was right it was the mine was was fainted in class oh see mine was was really old yes oh dolan that might have been was dolan that
1: was it Yes, but because who we, had the the wall wall? we had but calm law together. We had calm law together.
2: But wasn't there a teacher that passed out in class and God bless
1: her? There she was. was older than dirt
2: and she was dating another journalism professor who was older yeah. than dirt and they were never married. They were just dating for forever.
1: Yeah, With I can't remember her name though, but she was I a sweet either. lady. Yeah, she was, but she passed out in class and it scared yeah. me to death. I think that was journalism history because I think that one, because I know Jolyn did history and I think Atkins did calm law. Well, see, I again. had Atkins, I, I had him for both when,
0: when I took him, I had uh, history and law with him.
1: Well, cause that was after, remember the department chair passed away. Cause he got really sick uh-huh. before he had cancer. Yeah. So he taught some of, I think he, I think he was supposed to do. Journalism history, and then they kept subbing yes. people in because he was sick. Everyone that's 100% what that was. Yes,
2: 100% what that was. Yeah, because
1: me, you, and um, Jennifer, I will leave her last name out of it, took com law together. Whatever happened to her? She's up here, what? she had a baby. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> everyone who was not a journalism major between 2004 and 2006. Um, at Ole Miss is like what the fuck are y'all talking about <laughs> right? this is all important
2: um, yeah. I'm going to be quiet and, and Hannah continue telling your story Yes, <laughs> yes.
1: so um, the her- William Randolph Hearst so it was Dr. Atkins who told us this story about um, a prank William Randolph Hearst pulled in college I believe it was Harvard he put a donkey in his professor's office with a note that said now sir there are two of you and that was still that is still all these years later the most baller fucking thing i've ever heard of so (laughs) a little hearst side story so again dorothy she did gossip and show business news which again broadway we're talking the 30s the movies are coming out but they're not broadway is still a very big ticket is still and then organized crime politics so she did a little bit of everything like i said girl after my own heart um, in 1940, she would marry, marry Richard Colmar, who acted on Broadway, um, and they would have three children. So during World War II, uh, Kilgallen's column moved to the radio under the same name, Voice of Broadway. And and then in 1945, her and her husband started a radio program called At Home with Dorothy and Dick. I, <laughs> oh, love, I love
2: that. It. That's precious
1: isn't it? And what I love most is that her name was first. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, Dorothy, of the two, Dorothy was the more famous. Um, And what I like about these two, too, is they stayed married up until her death. So, this you know, they were committed. Um, And they broadcasted this radio program from their kitchen. So they would have, it was kind of a slice of life kind of program, so the kids would be coming in and out Um, They would talk about entertainment news, hot gossip, and then they were kind of mixing serious topics, too. So it was like your morning chat show, like The View or something like that, just with a married couple. So very fun. Uh, The program lasted well into the 60s, longer than other programs with similar syndications. So that just is a testament to how popular it was. In 1950, Dorothy joined the panel of the CBS game show What's My Line? um line <laughs> in the parlance of the time meant job so a panel of celebrities would encounter a contestant and ask them yes or no questions in an attempt to guess their career old school game shows are like heroin to me i love them so so much um when my grandmother was alive she had the game show network and i was like why are we watching match game episodes from the 70s but then i was hooked then mm-hmm. i'm like now i know why we're watching them and um the sorry tabby um the host of match game i cannot remember his name but even though he was like 80 at the time could get it he was fine.
2: <laughs> you know my best friend one of my best friends a little beautiful by blood butterfly named spencer um loves that show because of one guy who used to be on there all the time
1: <gasps> the sassy <sighs> gay man
2: Probably. I can't remember, but there's one guy he has a huge crush on and it's, it's hilarious how much he talks about watching. Like he goes home every day at lunch to watch Match Game.
1: Oh, wow. And I'm like, that's cute. I (laughs) love Match Game. Yes, because Match Game had a sassy gay man who I loved. And then it also had just an absolute queen who was just like, had withering bon mots for everybody. And I was like, yes, bitch. The seventies were wonderful. Can I also
2: say real quick, too, if you want to watch an old game show, it's not really a game show. Amazon Prime has celebrity bowling from the (gasps) 70s and 80s. Oh, my God. You can watch Rue McClanahan, a.k.a. Blanche Devereaux, bowl. She's amazing. It is worth your time. Me and Spencer spent almost an entire day watching all the episodes. (laughs) I love it. Didn't think I could get into bowling. It
1: is worth every minute of your time. Continue. Yes, Yes, if you ever just need just a mental solve, watch some old school game shows. They're so much fun. Um, So again, they would have somebody on and they would do yes or no questions or, you know, kind of open-ended questions to kind of guess with their career. The show is the origin of the phrase, is it bigger than a bread box? Because one of the (laughs) contestants was a bread box maker. That was a job you used to be able to have. That's so cool. (laughs) i love it but our girl dorothy wasn't above beef in 1956 even though her and frank sinatra had been friends in 1956 she wrote a multi-part story putting his business in the streets Yeah, girl, do the it. <laughs> so sinatra is of course a legend but as with all legends he was a womanizer. He was, you know, he was a straight-up skirt chaser. Uh, he had mob ties. Um, so he, he was a real big piece of shit.
2: Abusive, so, too, right?
1: Yes, I do believe there are Domestic allegations abuser. of that. Yeah, so she just put his business out there. And I was like, girl, yes. Good. And think about in the 50s, being a woman, coming for Frank Sinatra. I mean, that's some balls. I mean, you think about I bet about, that never
2: happened. Yeah.
1: Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, think about with like the Me Too, with how women, you know, were so scared to come up against Harvey Weinstein. I mean, this, right. is, even now we hear Frank Sinatra and we're like, Sinatra. I mean, you could say yeah. Frank and people know who the hell you're talking about. And she was like, I'm finna tell all her business. And I'm like, girl, get it. So Frank Sinatra, retaliated, as one does, uh, by making jokes about her looks and his nightclub routine. Classy. Sinatra, the piece of shit, never called her by her name, but much like Taylor and Kanye, everyone knew who we was talking about. Yeah. So, Dorothy, she was a lady of broad interest. Dorothy also took an interest in the trial of Dr. Sam Shepard in Cleveland, which is in Ohio if you don't know, uh, Shepard was on trial for the murder of his wife and Dorothy believed him to be innocent. The Shepherd case is a subject all to itself, but there is pretty good evidence that he was maybe wrongfully accused and that the affluent suburb of Bay Village that they lived in had a little more in common with Melrose Place than Mayberry. Everyone with fucking everyone. Alright? <laughs>
2: wow i'm shocked
1: <laughs> peeps was getting round, all right so um there a lot of my information on dorothy i got from hollywood crime scene podcast which you should check out it's very good um and they also did one on sam Shepard case as well because the two kind of tie together and um yeah there's some shit there there is some shit there so take a look into it it's an interesting case Um, She believed him to be innocent. Um, There was kind of a trial by media, um, which this being her being in the media, she, you know, kind of understood. Mm -hmm. And the media basically like the Cleveland newspapers essentially bullied the prosecutor into prosecuting someone and into prosecuting Dr. Shepard in particular, when it was more than likely the mayor that did it. But what nobody could ever prove it.
2: I'm gonna have to go back and relook at this. That's yeah, not how I remember sure. it going down.
1: Yeah, it's really Ooh. interesting. Now he is not the only doctor who has ever been accused of killing their wife.
2: Oh, of um, course There not. was
1: <laughs> there was a military doctor who was accused of killing his mm-hmm. pregnant wife and their two little girls, and I yep. fully believe he did that. Yeah, I do.
2: Too. Um, yeah, because know his excuse yeah. was like, oh, it was
1: it was hippies and yada yada. Blah, blah, yeah,
2: and that that, no, oh, that was that's a ridiculous case.
1: There was uh, a recent
0: documentary that documentary series a wilderness of error that um true crime obsessed covered on their podcast and i mean he is 100 percent guilty i don't
1: yeah yeah i mean his story just stinks to high heaven so right right dr shepherd might not have that other guy whose name i don't even remember he definitely did mm-hmm. um and then in 1963 the worst possible thing happened jfk was assassinated um the case of who really did it May never be answered, but Dorothy had some ideas and it surely wasn't that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. Again, I seem to be wrapping everyone else's podcast, but ours. But this is (laughs) some really good information. Um, Last podcast on the left did, I think, a five or six part series. It was pretty big. yeah. JFK assassination. And it is good. It is very good. Um, Their final conclusion was that Lee Harvey Oswald did shoot him. Um, but the Secret Service also accidentally fired their weapon too, mm-hmm. um, so he got an assist, which I think is an interesting theory and one I hadn't heard. Um, you can tell us on our socials who you think did it. Um, Dorsey- At Cemetery
0: Row Pod. Sorry.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Lori. Good job, Lori. <laughs> L- Lori got that hustle. <laughs> yep. Um, Dorothy, like many who watched an American president get slaughtered in broad daylight on a public street, was passionate about getting to the bottom of the case. And I try to imagine how, again, this is the early 60s. Shit really hasn't popped off yet. You know, Vietnam hasn't started yet. A lot of the civil rights stuff hasn't really mainstreamed yet. They were having that post-war boom. Everyone was feeling good. And then on national TV, you see your president get shot in the head. And I can't like imagine like the psychic wound that must give, Mm -mm. you know, everybody. Mm -hmm. And so um, in one documentary I watched about the assassination, like Walter Cronkite got choked up and seeing Walter Cronkite get choked up. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, no no something terrible has happened because walter cronkite is that bitch i mean he was and if he's upset y'all all all better be upset Mm -hmm. so she was really again you know seeing something like this makes you and she was a journalist so she was going to get to the bottom of this she was publicly skeptical of the warren commission's report on the assassination and interviewed jack ruby the man who shot oswald multiple times and reported on his testimony to the warren commission like she actually got his congressional testimony and reported it in the papers like what he said because for the longest time that stuff was closed i think a lot of it is still classified um so she was serious and like jack ruby is the man that shot oswald again his reasons are clouded in mystery um because he did um complete suicide so um it's just yeah the jfk assassination is it's you can see why our parents did gener- what happened to them because i'm like yeah if i were born in the midst of this i might be a little messed up <laughs> so
2: yeah however
1: sure. her investigation career and life would be cut short on november 8th 1965 She was discovered in her study, still fully made up, including her wig, from that evening's taping of What's My Line. Now, if you've never seen how people who are going to go on TV or go under any kind of lights and cameras, the makeup, we're not talking about walking down the street makeup. We're talking pan makeup. Like, Uh you're getting shellacked. And I can only imagine in the 60s, it was some hardcore stuff. Like, I'm surprised her face could move. (laughs) <laughs> um the cause of death was wait for it listed as alcohol and barbiturates what? Um, let's see who else connected to the Kennedy case died of alcohol and barbiturates oh Marilyn Monroe I'm not saying that there's something to that but I am just kind of gonna throw that out there that alcohol and barbiturates seems to be pretty uh convenient well did Dorothy um, did she have a history I mean no she had a prescription and of course this is the 60s where basically barbiturates were Tylenol Mm -hmm. um, where you know oh you you got a headache here take some fucking heroin Um, but but barbiturates will fuck you up y'all be careful Mm -hmm. with that stuff Um, so she had a prescription for it but there was no evidence that she ever abused it Um, and she was a busy gal so if she was abusing drugs and she was like Laura Palmer levels of like, high-functioning drug addict if she was. Um, That is a Twin Peaks joke for our younger listeners. Um, God, I feel old. However, many did not believe her death was a suicide or an accident. Um, They believe she was murdered due to the fact that she still had her makeup on for taping and, again, we talked about this is way heavier than your everyday face. This is... um, And her wig. So why would she be still wearing her wig but she was in her night robe. So, I mean, it's... I, I imagine... I have never worn a wig, except for, like, Halloween. Mm-hmm. But I imagine, like, a nice wig. Like, it's almost like a bra. That's going to be the first thing you slap off as soon as you get in the house. Like, I can't imagine that you would stay on that through putting your pajamas on. Then go sit in your study, still in the full face of makeup. And then OD on booze and pills. Like, it just doesn't seem... That doesn't seem logical to me. Yeah. Like I said, who keeps their wig? On? I mean, I have gone to sleep in my makeup, but I wear like BB cream. <laughs> like, right. You know, this is not TV makeup.
2: Yeah. Um, you wouldn't sleep in that. No, one, no, no woman would. No. Especially, even not back then. I wouldn't think. Oh God. Especially
1: yeah. in the sixties, because I, the regular foundation in the sixties was hardcore. So I can mm-hmm. only imagine that the stage makeup was probably cancerous. <laughs> I mean, in,
0: unless you're Tammy faye Baker, who never
1: took her makeup off.
0: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm definitely with you on the wig thing, though. Too that. Mm-mm. There's mm-hmm. no way she wouldn't have ripped that sucker off. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So it's believed Dorothy was getting too close to the truth of the Kennedy assassination, and was therefore assassinated herself. Dorothy's illustrious and very public life ended in a mysterious story that Dorothy herself would have probably loved to have solved. And that is Dorothy Kilgallen, who Yay. I was like, I read, a, I um, listened to the Hollywood crime scene episode about her. I'm currently listening to an audiobook about her. And I was just like, why didn't we learn about her <laughs> in mm-hmm. journalism history? Because she's amazing. Um, and there's, her story touches on so many things like the old school game shows. I mean, those were, there's still such a cultural, I mean, she went through all of the cultural touchstones, mm-hmm. you know, starting from the earth, you know, the 1910s and then all the way through the sixties, she hit all of those huge American, you know, things that we know about today.
2: Um, a couple of things. For yep. one, Spencer's big crush on Match Game was Richard Dawson.
1: Yes, I, ha- I texted
2: <laughs> yes. him because I was like, "Who was your crush on there?" Like, I can't believe I can't remember as many That's episodes as I've watched with him.
1: That's not the host I wanted to bang. Hang on, we're going to do a side. Yeah, no, he's not the host. <laughs> he's he's
2: just a regular like person on there, kind of like Betty White. She's on there a lot too.
1: Right. Yeah. Um.
2: But two, I mean.
1: Gene Rayburn, oh my God, he could snap my spine like a nightstick. (laughs) 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 God, Lori's reaction was
2: priceless. Um,
1: He is dead, though. Well, yeah. Um (laughs) He's from Illinois too. I'll be goddamn. Oh my God! (laughs) How do you always find Chicago connections?
2: (laughs) Um, but a couple things. I mean, okay, I would think. I would think your body would have had to have endured. I, I'm not saying you can't just drink a lot and take a lot of pills and die, <laughs> but I would think you would need to have your body would have, it would have, it would be easier if your body was already weakened by regular alcohol and drug abuse, but I don't know. Right. Also, mm-hmm. what does her husband say about this? Like, was her Is there a suicide note? Like I have a bunch of questions about things like that. Like, there was
1: never a note. Um, no note was found which again was another and a um, journalist doesn't leave a we're gonna something. leave a note we're gonna leave a note mm-hmm. um yeah. as mm-hmm. I, and this is a this is you know let's a very special episode of music um to be vulnerable I've contemplated you know ending life unaliving and I knew exactly what I was gonna write I mean, that's right. just part of our personalities as journalists, is there's no way in hell we're leaving without writing something. That's right. who we yeah. are as people. Um, you know, that's, I'm pissed that I'm not going to be able to write my own obit,
2: you know? Oh, you go um, ahead and write that right now.
1: Yeah. Oh, I, I'll Ain't have that. Stopping the, you. Because half of it's going to be made up. Um, <laughs> yeah, mine too. <laughs> So, and then I'm going to put, I'm going to have like five different versions. And this is all things my nephew and my nephews and niece have been told that I, I will require upon expiration. As I'm going to have five different obits, half of, I mean, all of, most of them are going to be complete horseshit. They're <laughs> going to be put in different newspapers and cities I have never lived in <laughs> just to stir up controversy. And also, I told them they have to have at least one person stand in the back all black suit either a veil or a hat pulled down whichever i don't care but just stands back and doesn't say anything and also the grim reaper costume is optional but i would like it mm-hmm. and if we could do the dance number from helena that would be great but again <laughs> i understand if it's not possible. it might be hard to get you up for that for the
2: for <laughs> right. the ballet
1: scene it's
2: true it's um, true. And can I say too, in your, because I do, I'm a firm believer in everyone, um, doing all their pre-need death stuff, because trust me, it is so vital that you do that. Oh my God, please do it. Um, but put aside some money for those obits yes. if they run in an actual right. paper because that
1: shit is expensive. let me tell you it used mm-hmm. to not be
2: and the, the prices have s- just they're astronomical mm-hmm. as someone who's buried a couple of people in the last couple of years trust me i mean and I was just shocked, an
1: fyi so. your funeral home is probably charging you way more than yeah. the paper is charging them but the paper yeah. won't take it unless it comes from a funeral home yeah. At least at the paper I worked at. So have fun yeah. with that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Bunch of I bullshit.
1: Mean, yeah. You could it's,
2: theoretically take out an ad, but that probably would be right. more expensive to you.
1: Exactly. So the funeral <sighs> industry, it has issues. Mm-hmm.
2: It does. Um, One more thing I wanted to say, cause you were repping other podcasts and I listened <laughs> to one today and I meant to mention this at the top and I forgot, but a week or so ago, um, Liz from Tomb with a View podcast sent us a message and she said, hey, y'all were wondering about Oddfellow cemeteries. Yeah. I did an episode on them. So i listened listen to that today. So if you want to know more about Oddfellow cemeteries, I don't know if we'll ever get back and circle back to them. We probably mm. will because there are so oh, many, yeah. but she does a great episode where she explains who they were, why they cared so much about cemeteries, why you find so many of these across the country, a lot of good info. So shout out to Tomb with a View.
1: Yay! Shadow. Okay. So that was Dorothy. Like I said, um, that was kind of my, you know, yes, she was a beloved wife and mother, but she was, she was a trailblazer and amazing. So read more about her. I'm going to post pics. Um, the, in case you're wondering, cause you're going to see a picture of her and she is a classic beauty. She's very pretty. Um, so you're going to be like, well, what did Frank have to say about her? She had a weak chin.
2: Oh, my God, Frank.
1: Yes. Bag of is dicks. good.
2: <laughs> is that as clever as you? Of course, he was probably drunk when he was on stage and telling this, yeah. though. Let's be real.
1: Frank Sinatra not... was a petty, petty bitch.
2: Yeah, and, and you're not that clever when you're that drunk. Either
1: way. I said what I said.
2: <laughs> okay, my turn now. Yeah. Um, if it makes you feel better, my journalist has a very nice tombstone. So it makes, it makes up for the flat one that yours had. And yes, I'm with you. I hate the flat stones. They do nothing for me. I got the idea to cover uh, this person today because Elmwood Cemetery in Memphis, which I've talked about several times on here, uh, has a great video series called My Elmwood. And in this series, Memphians tell the stories of people buried at Elmwood. Sometimes they tell the stories of their family members. Sometimes they tell stories of people they never met, but were inspired by, or they tell stories of people who just had a really great story. So back in February, Elmwood released a video of Otis Sanford. He is a well-known, well-loved Black journalist who worked at Memphis's Commercial Appeal and Jackson's Clarion Ledger and he is currently a journalism professor at the University of Memphis, and he told the story of L. Alex Wilson, and I'd never heard of this guy, but when I watched this video, I was just blown away. Um, Wilson's bravery is incredible, and I can say without fail that had I been a journalist in his same shoes, I wouldn't be able to have done what he did, so... I also found a great video made by journalism students in Prince George high school in Prince George, Virginia in 2014, they made a video about Wilson. So that will be in my uh, links as well. So be sure to check that out because I always want to support baby journalists. Yes. (laughs) All right. So picture it, Orlando, Florida, 1909, (laughs) Lucius Alexander Alex Wilson is born. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of information out there about his life. Um, So much of it is really based around um, an event that happened to him when he was a reporter later in his life. Um, But this is what I I was able to find out. So he grew up, moved a couple of places here, there, and yonder. We'll get to some of those in a minute. Um, He served in World War II, um, but he really loved journalism which was his passion. He was a foreign news correspondent for the National Newspaper Publishers Association during the Korean War. And he had worked at the Chicago Defender, which was the most prominent African-American newspaper in the country and ended up moving to Memphis to become the editor and general manager of the Tri-State Defender, which was a black newspaper created in Memphis in 1951. And the Tri-State Defender was created by the same guy who owned the Chicago Defender. And so the Tri-State Defender really became the Chicago Defender's uh, Southern Sister Paper. How many times can I say (laughs) Defender in one five-minute span? All right, so Wilson also covered the civil rights movement extensively, as you can imagine. He covered the murder of Emmett Till in 1955. He joined Dr. Martin Luther King on the first bus ride following the Montgomery bus boycott. And speaking of civil rights, I'm going to leave it to you to... um, do your homework about the civil rights movement in America, because, um, wow, we could go on and on and on about that for years. There's so much to cover there.
1: It's still important because all of this is still happening. Still going on. Yes.
2: So I'm going to try to keep this, um, focused on school segregation, which was a really big controversy in America in the 1950s. In 1954, the Supreme Court ruling um, in Brown versus the Board of Education struck down school segregation, but Southern schools were slow to integrate, shocker, and in fact, most schools remained segregated until more civil rights laws were passed in the late 1960s.
1: And present day in the South, we have private non-religious schools called, but we jokingly called SEG academies. Yes. Um, Jackson, Mississippi, the uh, largest, you know, the capital and largest city in the state has two SEG Mm -hmm. academies. So it's a thing. Yes.
2: I don't know if it's still a thing too, but I know that there are some, um, At least recent, I remember it was a thing back when I was in high school, but there were some schools that were desegregated, but their proms and things like that were still segregated. Yeah. 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 There's
0: a, um, I can't remember the name of it, but John Legend produced a documentary about a school in Atlanta, not Atlanta, around the Atlanta area that had segregated proms.
2: That's wild to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, so after the 1954 Brown versus Board decision, the Little Rock, Arkansas School Board promised they would voluntarily desegregate. But by 1957, three years later, nothing had changed. Surprise, surprise. surprise. <laughs> yeah. So in early September 1957, nine black students known as the Little Rock Nine, attempted to go to the all white Little Rock Central High School. And this, what I'm about to tell you is sort of something that happens over the first several weeks of um, September 1957. So first, they were barred from entering the school by the state's National Guard. The National Guard was sent there by the Arkansas governor for the safety of the nine students. Mm -hmm. I don't buy that.
1: Cough, cough.
2: Yeah. A federal judge ordered the students to begin class, but the National Guard and an angry mob then prevented them from entering the school. This was a little while later. And then a couple of days later, September 23rd, L. Alex Wilson and three fellow black journalists were in Little Rock to cover integration. The students were gonna try to go to class again that day and they were yet again met by a angry mob of white racists. But the National Guard was not there because a federal judge had told them to stay away. So on this date, you have the Little Rock Nine, you have a couple of white journalists. You have these four black journalists. You have the Little Rock Police Department and you have a whole mob of angry white people.
1: Yeah, that's, a, that's good odds.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Um, Yeah, exactly. Heavy sarcasm. And, exactly. And standing out in this crowd is our guy L. Alex Wilson. He was about 6'3", 6'4", very tall and lanky. Um, As any good reporter, he was dressed very professionally, had on a nice suit and a wide brimmed hat. Um, So he kind of stands out from the crowd because he is a tall man. But of course, the angry white mob turns their gaze onto him and his three um, fellow journalists And they start harassing them, yelling, calling them names, you can imagine. Um, They tried to explain, hey, we're press. They showed their press passes. The crowd didn't care. And that just made them even more upset. So Wilson and his four other or three other reporters, they they can tell that it is about to get bad. The three black journalists with Wilson ran and they encouraged him to run too, but he didn't. As a young man, Wilson had been confronted by the KKK and he had run from them then, but he was determined not to run anymore. And he (laughs) walked away.
1: Fuck yeah. I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have done it. If that was me, I would have ran. I'd have been high to, I mean, I'd have have a middle finger in the air and I'd have probably been (laughs) yelling, motherfucker, but I'd have been running. I mean, I literally,
2: when you see, or when you study race relations in the South, what we as white people put black people through it's beyond horrific and mm-hmm. i i would have ran yep I, I cannot imagine the courage this man had um and determination but yeah i mean as i said he had been confronted by them before he said he was not going to run away from from racists anymore so he walked the fact that he's just walking away makes these people even more angry so they actually physically attacked him one white man jumped on him and choked him another one tried to hit him with a brick yes. and they always
1: have bricks if there is a thinking, mob of angry white people there is a brick
0: don't know where they're getting them maybe, maybe the kkk show? has its own kit
2: or something I think <laughs> right they do. here's your hate crime
1: starter kit right yeah.
2: Um, so this makes Wilson fall down and he picks himself up. He, you know, dusts off his jacket. He picks up his hat, puts it on his head, puts the crease back in his hat and he keeps walking. And this yet again, really ticks off these white folks. And this is when another white man grabbed another brick, same brick, who knows. And he actually manages to actually hit Wilson in the back of the head with it. Mm -hmm. So he's bleeding. He has a serious injury, but he picks himself up. He never says a word, not one word. And he makes it to his car and he drives away. So this is where I'm going to say L. Alex Wilson was a true journalist because he never saw a doctor for his injuries. He never even rested. He met his deadline. Damn. Which blows my mind
1: i've turned in papers late because i didn't feel good yeah, and i was I mean, probably hung over
2: <laughs> this guy had a head injury Jesus. And, and i wonder too if maybe he didn't know of a, a black doctor or someone who would treat black folks in little rock That's that might have had something to yeah. do with it too. i really yeah. don't know but he met he made his deadline for the next day's paper and in it he wrote this is um this, these are like excerpts from what he wrote. He said, I decided not to run. If I were beaten, I would take it walking if I could, not running. Any newsman worth his salt is dedicated to the proposition that it is his responsibility to report the news factually under favorable or unfavorable conditions. I'm not bitter. I believe that justice and fair play for all minorities will eventually triumph in the tension-ridden social revolution in the South. Oh.
0: And that just, it hits so close to home because, you know, this was back in the fifties and it's still Mm -hmm. what he thought was going to happen still hasn't come to fruition little
1: rock nine are still alive
0: right yeah
1: bridges is still Mm. alive this is not ancient history Mm -mm. this is people's not at all you know we there there's pictures and i think there's a really famous one of the little rock nine with the um one of the black girls who just looks impeccable and it's just turned out impeccably Mm -hmm. and there's this demon looking white woman or white girl screaming at her right right and it's just like that's somebody's somebody's grandma. grandma you know she's Mm -hmm. probably still alive um the lady the lady who accused Emmett Till of whistling at her she's still still alive
2: yeah Um, this ain't
1: ancient this isn't ancient history
2: no it's not no and and you know I think that's and I'm about to get to this but there are pictures of these white people beating up L. Alex Wilson and I'm like you clearly see these white people's faces and I'm like that's that's somebody's kin <laughs> yeah we all so when know you go somewhere, somewhere, visit probably. your Don't grandparents
1: yeah if you go visit your grandparents uh have the pictures on your phone yes yeah. just, just give a look granddad what were you doing in the 50s just yeah you know sort of how i made the joke of like you know if you know some germans who were alive in the 40s ask them what
2: right. they were up to yeah yep.
1: just be like hey what's going on what'd you, what'd you yeah. do So
2: um, meanwhile, the students actually did make it into the building. They did go to class for a couple of hours that day, but they were eventually sent home because that angry white mob kept trying to get into the school. So they did end up integrating the school, but Lord knows they they faced some trials and violence and harassment. So
0: um, I want to interject here real quick since you were talking about the Little Rock Nine. When I was in high school, we had to read um, Warriors Don't Cry by Melba yeah. Patillo Beals. Highly, mm-hmm. highly recommend. Um, if you haven't read it, check that out. Uh, she actually talks about this incident in in the book, and it's just a really fascinating look at what it was like to be a
2: member of those. Uh, nine students you know I hate I didn't get a chance to read that before Mm -hmm. telling the story yeah no it's a great book yeah I need to read it Um, so meanwhile the next day all of the major newspapers across the country run photos of Wilson being attacked on the front page on their front pages Um, it really symbolized the violence that um, was facing black folks in the south and it so moved president dwight eisenhower that on september 25th he federalized the national guard in the u.s and he sent u.s army troops to the scene and the students were uh, guarded by the army's 101st airborne and the national guard and that's when they finally were able mm-hmm. to start truly start classes safely
1: right eisenhower has his faults but i love me some eisenhower
2: yeah <laughs> Uh, Moses nuson who was one of the black reporters there with L. Alex Wilson, um, he shared his memories of that day in a video that I found on YouTube. That's also going to be in the show notes, and I highly recommend you watch it. I hope I did not um, demonize him or the two other reporters that were there because um, I don't want to make it sound like they were not brave or that they, whatever. I, I would have run, yeah. you know, no, we, so we are. I don't all- blame them
1: team run so no they're good
2: um l alex wilson was just incredibly brave and and I'm i'm so it's amazing to i get choked up thinking about someone saying i'm not running from this like i faced this my whole life i'm tired of running
1: to even be a black reporter in the south and go cover this and honestly like the one detail that you said struck with me is that he put the crease back in his hat he did like they weren't they weren't fixing to fuck with his groove
2: like, no, baller he was still gonna look professional he was you know he as i said he dusted off his suit like he like that he had so much respect for himself that these people and i hate calling them people did not have for him yeah, yeah right so not long after these events wilson became editor of the chicago defender and this took place as i said 1957 and in L. And then L. Alex Wilson died in Chicago, October 11th, 1960, at the age of 51. So just a couple of years later, Mm -hmm. he succumbed to what is believed to be Parkinson's. And his family believes he had that because of those head injuries that he suffered that day in Little Rock. Oh, wow. In 2017, the National Association for Black Journalists honored him with a special award. Um, So I'm glad he has that uh and mr wilson is buried at elmwood next to his wife imogene imogene died on christmas day 2019 at the in- at the age of 95
0: oh wow imogene oh,
2: get it girl wow. i know um she and l alex wilson were newlyweds oh. when the little rock nine incident happened oh
1: wow oh. and
2: they had a daughter together named karen oh. <laughs> and
1: quickly only i want to karen
2: Yeah. (laughs) Um, Quickly, I wanted to tell y'all a little bit about Imogene because she was an awesome lady in her own right. So Imogene was a Howard University graduate. She was a school teacher for 35 years, but she was also a journalist. Um, She spent three summers when school wasn't in session writing for Life magazine. And she was in Memphis working as a school teacher when she took an unpaid job as society editor for the Tri-State Defender, which is where she met L. Alex Wilson. Oh,
1: the oh two sweet of them story.
2: Have, yeah, they have a beautiful monument at Elmwood. Um, it, the the granite is, I don't know what it's made out of specifically, but it's a beautifully colored granite. has a scroll on it, which, you know, as journalists scrolls, it just is, is nice and it reads partners in the quest for educational social and political change in memphis during the civil rights movement
1: oh no. and, and journalists have a tendency to marry each other like yeah, they do. there's yeah. something like we know people that we worked with in our college newsrooms oh yeah i've mm-hmm. <laughs> gotten yes. married i mean some that's- <laughs> of them i'm like yeah really <laughs> right, there's some I have questions about, but some I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm not no, gonna I say who. Well, well, I will talk about it after. Now, now,
0: yeah, you've got to tell me off mic. Uh, anyway, um, now I want to know because
2: I know of two for sure. That so, tea yeah. will be bonus content. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, you'll only be able to get that on our Patreon. Anyway, which we
1: don't <laughs> that have. We don't have. <laughs>
2: <Yes>. <laughs> but anyway, again, that is uh, the amazing story of L. Alex Wilson, an incredibly, incredibly brave man and journalist. Yes. And um, shout out to his wife, Imogene, who is a reporter as well. And um, yeah, so go look him up and learn about him because he is an amazing guy. Absolutely.
1: Uh,
0: <laughs> in, in my story, we may. Kind of rehash some topics we've already discussed so um i'll get started while i was a journalism student at the university of mississippi i took a required course in the history of mass media
1: <laughs>
0: while many that we my- discussed earlier <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so while many of my female classmates spent the time in class ogling the handsome, handsome Silver Fox professor who uh, is retired journalist and published author Joe Atkins. (laughs) I found myself fascinated by the journalist he discussed when covering the fascinating stories of early American journalists, specifically the stories of those legendary female reporters like Ida B. Wells and Nellie Bly. So when we decided to cover journalists as a part of this podcast, I spent quite a lot of time trying to think back to the journalists we discussed in that class and who I wanted to cover. So after deliberating, I settled on sharing the story of Elizabeth Jane Cochran, who would become the face of investigative journalism in the late 1800s and early 1900s under the pen name Nellie Bly. So I will be referring to her by that name, um, either Nellie or Bly. So she was born Elizabeth Jane Cochran. Um, So Nellie was born May 5th, 1864 near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She was the. Close to
1: somebody else we know. Yes. Yes.
2: The day before me. Yes.
0: She was the 13th of 15 children of Michael Cochran. And his two wives, he did not have the wives at the same time, but he had (laughs) 15 children with two different women. Um, He died when Nellie was just six years old. Um, So, you know, wasn't really there for most of her life. Um, There wasn't a lot about her, you know, childhood or early life, um, but she did enroll in Indiana normal university, but had to drop out due to lack of funds. Uh, In 1880, there was an article published in the Pittsburgh Dispatch titled What Girls Are Good For, which was a sexist piece of drivel that claimed women (laughs) were only useful as baby making machines and maids. Nellie? yeah yeah of course Nellie I'm gonna go back in time and fight this man (laughs) yeah well listen to this so Nellie was a true badass bitch before it was a thing she was rightly pissed at this misogynistic bullshit so she wrote a reply under the pseudonym lonely orphan girl and her writing (laughs) impressed the editor of the newspaper so much that he brought her on full-time and gave her the pen
2: name Nellie Bly after the song by Stephen Foster Okay, but lonely orphan girl like we're going I to it. I mean her initials will be log.
1: <laughs> yes, wouldn't that be a great like all female emo band?
0: Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Anyway, so Nellie would pen articles arguing for reforms and divorce laws and the horrible working and living conditions of female factory workers, but the paper began receiving complaints from factory owners, so they reassigned her to the fashion and society pages where uh, most female journalists were stuck at that time. Um, She hated it. So at the age of 21, she was determined to do, quote, something that no girl had done before, end quote. So she quit the paper and went to Mexico to work as a freelance foreign correspondent covering the lives and customs of the local people. And she was there for about six months. But then in 1887, she went to New York and earned a job at the New York World, which was the newspaper owned by Joseph Pulitzer. And it was while reporting for this paper that she reported on what would become one of her best known investigations, the conditions of the female patients at the Women's Lunatic Asylum on what is now known as Roosevelt Island. It was a different time, y'all. Yes, 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 yes. Yep. Um, so Nellie was able to act her way into a police officer, judge, and doctor, becoming convinced that she was mentally unstable. Of she course, was, back in
1: the day, she probably just said like, I don't know. She, didn't, mean, she like, didn't she didn't, she she didn't have really, to do my I don't yeah, want to have like, kids. I'm, and they were like literally oh, she's Sam. clearly crazy.
2: I think it was today. I saw a thing where one a reason that a woman was committed to an insane asylum was because she was annoyed by her husband. Yeah. You
1: well, know, sweet she, Jesus, y'all. Yeah. Right. Like no, I'm I, saying, she probably just went on Fifth Avenue, and was like, "I don't want to get married or have a baby, and by the way, take my uterus out." And they're like, clearly, she's insane. Yeah. I mean, yes. I some of the articles I read
0: and stories went into detail. Like she uh, went to live at this home for women and did didn't sleep so she would get that crazy haggard look and um started complaining about the other tenants so she really worked her way up to to getting that uh commit commitment to the that's asylum com- yeah commitment that's <laughs> commitment
1: but for her acting and commitment to an asylum yeah. right i mean i was about to make the joke that's committing to a bet. Yes, no. So
0: um, she spent 10 days as a patient in the asylum before she was released at the request of the newspaper. And her reporting on the conditions of the asylum led to major reforms in the system. And I have an excerpt from one of her articles that I wanted to share with you because it's just, you know, hits the nail on the head when it comes to what these women were going through. And the fact that many of them were not mentally unstable. So it starts, what accepting torture would produce insanity quicker than this treatment? Here's a class of women sent to be cured. I would like the expert physicians who are condemning me for my action, which has proven their ability to take a perfectly sane and healthy woman, shut her up and make her sit from 6 a.m. until 8 p.m., on straight back benches do not allow her to talk or move during these hours give her no reading and let her know nothing of the world or its doings give her bad food and harsh treatment and see how long it will take to make her insane two months would make her a mental and physical wreck
2: wow right so that is a man's i'll probably get hate for this that's a man's like ideal woman
0: of course sit there never say a word Mm -hmm. never know about
2: anything like that and i mean that's abuse that's just plain Mm -hmm. and simple abuse
1: be like kiss my ass that ain't happening Mm -mm. yeah Yeah. and um again uh, this is hannah's vulnerability hour apparently (laughs) um i have been in a behavioral health hospital um i spent a week in one and um They actually again, mental health has changed so much. Um, I always joke if I'd have been born in any other generation, I'd have been lobotomized, um, or can be the witch of the village, one of the two. Um, either one I would have accepted and been happy with. Um, but like they try to keep you so like engaged. There's puzzles, there's arts, Mm -hmm. there's so when and then you have group, then you have one-on-one, then you have this. Then you, I mean, and so it's very, so you're not just roaming about, you know, just desensitized.
0: Lots of, lots of structure and,
1: too. Exactly. But mm-hmm. they wouldn't let us have, okay, so this is, okay, we're going to be vulnerable. This is going to be funny. So um, they wouldn't let us have caffeinated coffee because they needed to make sure our medications were good. Um, except for one morning, they accidentally left the caffeinated coffee pot out. Um, when we were getting breakfast. So like me and two other patients were like, here, 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 get it, get it, get it.
0: Because <laughs> I had
1: had, I had had no caffeine in like four days and I was just like fiending. Mm-hmm. And so we got it. And then we're all like drinking our our forbidden coffee. And then for the rest of the day, we were all like, they're like, oh yeah, there was caffeine in that coffee. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. And it was great. That's yeah. my, um, that's my loony bin story for the day. ahead
0: it's okay so well so Nellie's work was critically acclaimed and led to more and more opportunities for her including an exclusive interview with serial killer Lizzie Halliday who was the first woman sentenced to death by the electric chair although her sentence was later commuted to life in a mental institution wow So a little side story, Halliday was believed to have murdered her first two husbands and the handicapped son of her third husband, but she was only able to be convicted of the murders of her third husband, Paul Halliday, and Margaret and Sarah McQuillan body of her husband was found shot mutilated and hidden under the floorboards of their home and the bodies of the mcquillans were found hidden in the barn on the holiday property she went damn liz (laughs) right right so so there's there's not a lot of information on how that interview went but you know when i saw serial killer i had to do a little side goog and find out more about her so
1: Um, what is it with elizabethson murder and
0: i don't know i don't know um, My
1: middle name's Elizabeth, by
0: the way. <laughs> Explains so much. Yes, <laughs> yes. So shortly after her asylum expose, Nellie convinced Pulitzer to have her try to circumnavigate the globe in eighty days, attempting to turn the adventure in Jules Verne's "Around the World in Eighty Days" into a reality for the first time. Does this remind you of anything, Hannah?
1: <laughs> I think it's "Around the World in Forty Days." Um, <laughs> Hannah works, works in warp, warp speed. speed, Exactly.
0: (laughs) So she began her voyage on November 14th, 1889 and made it back to New York city by January 25th, 1890, 72 days after her journey began. Um, So she would maintain this record for only a short amount of time. And then George, George Francis train, uh, beat her record by circumnavigating in 62 days just a few months after her journey all um, right okay women so, get shit done okay and so Bly left journalism in 1895 after marrying robert seaman insert certain <laughs> love here bob seaman <laughs> <laughs> a millionaire manufacturer 40 Ooh. years her senior oh get so it, girl. I th- yeah I think she was 31 <laughs> and he was 72 okay And Nicole Smith
2: that shit girl she's very yes, smart very yes. money with one well it
0: did not end well for her um, oh. so as his health <laughs> failed she took over the management of his company ironclad manufacturing um, they manufactured oh. like milk barrels um,
1: oh those aren't the same people that do the pots and pans
0: I No, I don't okay. believe so. Um, so she,
1: she ran, she had
0: great ideas, like an angel before her time, when it came to her employees, she um, ha- had many benefits for them that most businesses didn't have at the time, but she neglected some of the more important aspects of the company. So her inexperience and the massive embezzlement by a factory manager led to bankruptcy for the company. Oh, so she was now back in poverty. So she had to return to journalism. She covered the women's suffrage procession in 1913 for the New York Journal, and she as, accu- if, <laughs> as if journalism is going to lift you out of poverty. Right, <laughs>
2: uh, might have
0: back then, not now. <laughs> right, and she accurately predicted that women would not receive the right to vote until 1920. Nellie, she's um, a genius. Yes. During World War 1, she became the first female reporter to visit the war zone between, between Serbia and Austria. She was well, even yeah. arrested, she was even arrested under suspicion of being a British spy. Oh wow. Look at you, girl. Yes. She was Unfortunately, she was never able to financially recover from the bankruptcy and loss of her company. She died penniless after a battle with pneumonia in 1922 at the age of 57 and was buried in an unmarked grave in Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx. Um, It wasn't until 1978 that the New York Press Club erected a monument at her grave, recognizing her leading role in journalism. The organization would also continue to honor Nellie's legacy with the Nellie Bly Cub Reporter Award, which is awarded annually to a journalist with less than three years of reporting experience. Yes, in 1998, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. And in 2019, American artist Amanda Matthews uh, created a design for a sculpture she titled The Girl Puzzle. And it was selected by the Roosevelt Island Operating Cooper Corporation. Cooperation? I think it's cooperation. That doesn't make a lot of sense. The Roosevelt. Maybe that's it. I typed all this. Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm assuming that the Roosevelt Island Operating Cooperative to be installed on the island to honors Nellie's legacy and her time on the island the unveiling was scheduled to take place in 2020 but that bitch COVID-19 led to it being rescheduled and it's supposed to happen sometime this year that Um, seems on brand for
1: Nellie yes (laughs) yes
0: god bless her so her story has been portrayed multiple times in film most recently in Lifetime's 2019 movie Escaping the Madhouse the Nellie Bly story starring goodness christina ricci really? oh wow <laughs> she has also been featured in two episodes of drunk history <laughs> and uh sarah paulson's character in the second season of american horror story asylum is believed to be modeled after Bly. i love it so that Damn. is it i would like to not that he's ever going to listen to this but you never know i would sincerely like to thank joe Atkins. Um, I know y'all didn't have him as a professor for history of mass media, but I mean, it's been what, 16 years. And I still remember vividly, like how much passion he had when he talked about these female mm-hmm. journalists. Yeah. Um, and so remembering the, the specifics this many years later of, of things he shared in that class, you know, really has an impact. And I mean, I'm not even in journalism. I didn't even like I jumped ship before I even graduated college and went over to PR and marketing. So, you know, it, it, it's nice to still have that memory and to, you know, I don't yeah. know.
1: Yeah. I mean, we had some really great professors at will Miss and I would say Dr. Atkins is definitely at the top of that list. Mm-hmm. Um, me yeah. and Sheena had the nickname, the Godfather for him yes. for yes. a yes. little while. Um, and actually, in one of the pictures, it was like I think it was a couple of days before me and Sheeta graduated when we were at Old yep. Venice. Yes, and I was we, there with you. Yep. yes, we took pictures because it was me you and um, us three and some of our mm-hmm. other other, classmates Mm -hmm. and dr atkins is in the background of one because he shows up everywhere he's like the godfather so and he is very handsome well y'all so i
0: i like google it joseph b atkins and sheena reminded me earlier he put he just last year published a book about harry dean stanton that i now have to go check out because i love harry dean stanton and i didn't know that he had written a book but he is definitely a silver fox and looking at pictures of him for you know he he looks to he reminds me of an older greg kinnear like just his facial features you know they're, they're not like greg kinnear's blonde blue eyed but and dr atkins is is not he's he's darker complected but there's, they have similar structure Mm -hmm. to their face and yeah. Yeah. He's handsome. Yes, very much.
1: Mm -hmm. We had some good looking professors. I mean, we had a, we had a good
2: crew. I know we had a ton. Jenny Atkins. That's the teacher that passed. Yes. (laughs) Because we had like the trifecta of Atkins teachers. I was going to say my big crush was on Ace Atkins. Right. Also yes writes yes books now he writes yes. novels so yes. yeah so we had a he, bunch of good professors so
0: side story he actually read my so when I was applying for scholarship to the journalism school I talked about how I dreamed of being a crime reporter because you know I was obsessed with Alex Cross books and um, James well, Patterson so I was going to be a crime reporter and uh he actually read my um my application and was like oh this is you know somebody wants to be a crime reporter like me and then of course I uh quickly see episode one to learn (laughs) how that went
2: bailed on that yes fairly quickly so yeah so these are some awesome journalists that we hope you found a little bit of inspiration from Uh, We hope you do not find inspiration from next week's subject. Um, (laughs) Next week, we are discussing women who kill their husbands. Very specific Mer- yes. murdering yes. wives. Yes.
1: I mean, I don't wives know. I mean, I guess knives if you will. Wives with knives. <laughs> um, I
2: don't know that we're specifically all covering exactly women who kill their husbands, but with that's the general idea is yeah. women who kill people. So yeah, um, don't do it. It's bad, kids. Yes.
1: Um, that's um, that's the joke about country music, is that when men sing country, it's about their truck, their dog, uh, you know. The South.
0: Their girls wow. honky tonk badonka donk.
1: Yes. Oh my god. I'm gonna think about that the rest of my life again. You're welcome. Um, but when women sing country, they're like, "I'm gonna kill my husband."
2: Every one <laughs> yes, of them. I yes. love it.
1: <sighs>
2: Maybe we should cover our favorite women murdering a man song. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There are several
1: there are a mm-hmm. lot and i love them all
2: <laughs> yes <laughs> yep, me too yes yes, yes, yes.
1: All, right, Lu- all right where can people yes find us?
0: yes you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter at cemetery row pod or you can send us an email to cemetery row at
2: gmail.com and Yay! send us some reviews if you yes what we're doing. yes please um, be sure to subscribe please tell your friends also go to our um sources and our show notes so you can find a link to revenge body who did our theme song and you can yes. buy that theme song and a bunch of other amazing music that he has produced so shout out to him for that thanks as always to our producery edery editory Guy Derek, um, oh,
1: he's gonna have some work. I'm glad he's I gonna went have first. fun with this one. I, I'm if, glad if I was... went first because I had my shit together, and you two were just I'm usually the disaster. I hope they can't like... tell
2: this when they listen. I hope Derek does that good of a job. All right, well, thanks right. for listening, y'all.
1: Thanks See for ya listening.
2: Bye.